All right, you guys, I, I don't know about you, but in this life, there are so many distractions. You can have something you're trying to accomplish and in your life and then what you're doing, and constantly things come from all different angles gathering for our attention. We have phone calls coming in. We've got Facebook and Twitters. Email, I think, is straight from hell. We have reminders and radio and TV. And then you just got everything you're involved in. You've got your job that you're doing. If you're married, you've got your family. And if you've got kids, you've got them and they're all of their activities. You just have your friends. And you have so many other things that cling to your devotion. And some of them are really good. I mean, there's a lot of awesome things in this world that want our attention. They want our devotion. And when you try to stay focused on one thing, I don't know about you, but the distractions that come into my life are just huge. And then, not just all the stuff outside, the the distractions, I think, that are sometimes internal. You know, you can be with somebody, and all of a sudden you can tell they're just not with you at all. And you kind of want to go, hello, you know, know, McFly, and get somebody's attention. And they'll say, I'm sorry, man, I just had something on my mind. Well, see, we have lots of things on our mind. And we have lots of things in our heart. And when when you have lots of things, it's really hard to focus on the things that actually really matter. So we have lots of ideas, we have lots of dreams, we have lots of desires, we have lots of worries, we have things that we're anxious about, and then all of that stuff, I love how that just, bam, and then quiet. Be still and know that I'm God. The verse goes on and says, I will be exalted among the nations and I'll be exalted in the earth. It's Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still in the midst of all the craziness of this life and know that I'm God. Know that I'm God. Eugene Peterson wrote a version of the Bible called The Message, and he just took it and just tried to make it in everyday language. This is how he said it. He goes, step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics and above everything. So here's the deal, you guys. Let me just recap for you one more time. If you're visiting here today, uh, or if you haven't been with us in the last few weeks, you may not know that we're in this series, and we do series here all the time, but the series we're in right now is called Everything That You Need. And it goes back all the way to Easter when we were celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ had died on the cross for our sin and that he rose again from the grave. And that his death and his resurrection have literally done everything that we need so that we can now know God personally. And so, right after that, we decided, well, let's look and see what's ours. And and so in 2 Peter chapter 1, we've been going through this series. And if you haven't been here, I want to really encourage you to grab our first two messages of the series because they really are foundational truths that we're building everything on. But let me just kind of recap real quick before we go into today's message. The Bible tells us that we have everything that we need for life and for godliness. In other words, because of what Jesus Christ has done, you are, I don't care who you are here today, you are a spiritual millionaire. You you can have a relationship with God. It's all yours for the taking. He says you have everything you need for life and for godliness. To have a life centered around God, which we're going to look at today. You can participate in his nature, have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and self-control. 
and you can escape the stuff that corrupts your life. And so what Peter, when I read that, I just think, man, if that is the life that's supposed to be mine on this earth, then I want to figure out how to have it. But what Peter says is this. Since you have this, since everything is yours because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, then you need to add some things to your faith. So some of us in this room right now, we believe. We have received a faith from God. And we actually believe in Jesus Christ. We really do. Some of you here, you haven't quite gotten there yet. You're here investigating. You're questioning. You're wondering if this could be true. And I want to encourage you. I am so glad that you're here. We exist as a church for you to come and just to investigate. And as you do, you can listen to what we're going to share today and see, wow, is that something I want to be true about my life? But let me just address all of you, though, right now, who would say, I believe in Jesus. I really do. He is everything I need. I, I really do believe in him. What Peter tells us is you can actually have faith in Christ and still be ineffective and unproductive in your relationship with him. In other words, ineffective means to be idle. It's again, if you're, if you're driving a car and you're pushing the clutch, the, the gears disengage, and then your car doesn't move. That's what that word means. And some of you right now, that's how you feel. You don't feel any spiritual power whatsoever in your relationship with God. And then he says you can also be unproductive, which means unfruitful. In other words, this fruit, this love and joy and peace, everything I just mentioned, you just feel like, man, that's not coming from my life. And what Peter says is the reason that you might be ineffective and unproductive, even though you have faith in Christ, is because there are some things you need to add to your faith. Okay? So, Jill, if we can go ahead and throw up the gear here real quick. Let me just explain this again today and then as we go into this. This illustration that we've been using, again, if you're visiting, this is new. If you've been hanging with us, just get it cemented in your head. This left gear we've been illustrating is God. Because the Bible tells us one thing about God. He is always working. He's always loving. He's always offering us everything we need. He wants to give you today grace and mercy and peace and power and wisdom and love, everything. So God's always working. The problem is, if we're not engaged with God and we stand over at that distance, then, in, in, in fact, I think a lot of people who go to church stand over there at that other distance, and we learn things about God, but we ever actually, by faith, engage with God. And here, you guys, is the key that we need to learn. When the Bible talks about knowing God, it does not mean just to know things about Him. If you're going to have a good relationship with anybody, maybe possibly the person you're sitting next to today, the only way you're actually really going to know that person is you must let them into your life. See, Susie, I let her into my life. And the more I let her in, the more we know each other. But I also have to engage in her life. And if I don't do that, I'll never really know her. And the same thing is true with God, you guys. We actually have to, and that's the Bible talks about it all the time. It says you must receive Christ. You must let him into your life, not just learn things about him, but actually let him in. And when you let God into your life, then you start to know him. But you don't just let him in. You also engage in his life. You actively pursue him. Now look what happens. 
instead of just knowing things about God, if we all of a sudden say, God, come into me and I'm going to come into you, then our life starts to receive what it needs from God. I just want to encourage you today. I believe after this first service that what I'm going to share with you today could possibly be your ticket to how come you haven't been experiencing the life that God has for you. Because one of the things that Peter says is, what you need to add to your faith is godliness. You need to let me into your life, and you need to engage in my life. And today, he says, and one of the things that might keep you from being effectively engaged with God is you've never actually brought godliness into your life. Now, if you're like me, like a few months ago, you really don't know what godliness is, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do, can we pray? Because I, I just want you, I don't, you know, I can't even see you guys, actually. In fact, can we just turn the house light up just a touch for me, just so I can see people a little bit more? Oh, hi. Oh, what a good-looking bunch. Very nice. Okay, I just, but I just want to pray for us, because if you're here today, you have a chance this morning to understand and to know God and engage with Him. You could walk out of here more free, more full, more at peace, with more love and joy in your life than you had when you walked in. Anybody up for that? All right, let's do it then. All right, let's, I'm going to pray, and you pray too. Let's do it. God, first of all, thank you that you sent Jesus Christ into this world so that He could die for our sins and so that He could rise again to offer us life. Thank you, God, that we have everything we need for life. And I want to praise you right now because there's not a person in this room that you haven't created, that you don't love, that you didn't die for. You have a plan for every person in this room to live life to the full. And so we need to hear from you today, God. And I'm asking in the name of Jesus Christ, that you might open the eyes of our heart so that we might understand freely what you have given to us. Lord, my request today, on behalf of everyone who's here, is that they would walk out of here with more of you than they had when they walked in. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go, you guys. Godliness. What is it? Um, the, the Greek word is this word called eusebia. And the root word, save, S-E-B, literally meant to simply step back from someone or something. So save would literally mean if I was this close, if I take a step back from you and create some distance between us, that was save. And what it eventually came to mean was the reason that you would step back from something is because you were kind of scared of it. <laughs> You would step back because of trepidation, or you would step back because of wonder or awe. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been around something where all of a sudden it's, it's so incredibly whatever that it makes you just go, whoa, that's Eusebia. It's to step back. And eventually what it came to mean was it was an attitude of awe and of reverence that you would step back from. And eventually it came to mean that you were, it was so awe-inspiringly beautiful and majestic that you had to look at it from a distance. Now, living here in Utah, we have the perfect example of this, okay? 
we have these unbelievable mountains, right, all around us. Can I just say, one of the things I hate the most about my house is I can't see the mountains. Anybody here else, who else lives here in Utah and you can't see the mountains from your house? Okay, so look at this, three of us. I, I say, do you not hate that? I hate that. I hate that. In fact, after we bought our house, you know, I was so excited because we did it for location because we wanted to be in Sugar House. You know, we wanted to be down in that area. And, and what we didn't realize is after we bought the house and we moved in, we're like, wait a second, where's the mountains? And it's just like, it's so frustrating to live surrounded by this majesty and this beauty. And I can't even see it. And you know what? Some of you right here are surrounded by the majesty and the beauty and the awesomeness of God. Can't see it. It's, you, you can't see it. And so what, what happens to some of us, right, is you move in here and you say, well, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move and I want to move close to the mountains. And so we kind of live by the... How many of you kind of live like on the bench, let's say, like pretty not maybe not on the bench, but pretty close to the mountains? How many of you live pretty close to the mountains? Okay, see, a lot more of you. You, you are smart. You bought your house and you said, I actually want to see these things. So this, this is an actual picture of our Wasatch Range here from the bench. Now, that, that, looks, that looks good. It looks like a jungle, actually. I mean, I don't know what that is, but, but, but that's a pretty nice view. Now, you go a little bit farther, though. How many of you actually love to hike or ride or climb in the mountains? Okay, see, there's something totally different. We do that all the time because we can't see them. And so we hop in our car, and we'll just go up and our kids, and there's nothing. Almost every time I get done being in the mountains, I come back and I tell my wife, we need to do this more. It just brings life to my soul. My dad and his wife are visiting, and they're staying up in Snowbird. You know, and they, they popped in yesterday, and they said, oh, my goodness, there's that raging river coming down. See, when, you, when you're here, you don't really even know there's a raging river until you actually get into the mountains. All the wildflowers, it'll be crazy in the end of the summer, right? The smells and the sounds, all of that. See, with God, one thing that you need to do is you need to actually get into God. I think sometimes we go to church so that we can get close to God, and it's kind of like buying a home, like on the bench. But we need to go one step further and say, but I really want to know him. And you have to get intimate with him. And some of you have done that. And you've discovered things about God that you had no idea were true. And you've let him into your life. And it's begun an intimate relationship with him. And it's awesome. But there's another component to this whole deal. In the last couple of weeks, um, and I apologize for this, it's just because of where I live. But I never hardly ever go over to the west side. How many of you live over on the west side? Okay, quite a few of you. And so there have been a couple parties lately, and I've had a chance to go over to someone's house. And so for me, right, I go down uh, I-15, and then I turn west, you know, and I go like this. And then I get to somebody's house, and I turn around, and you see that. And when you see that, you go, holy smokes. I mean, you guys got the view. I mean, and when you see that, what happens? You go, these things, these mountains are amazing. My niece is here. She's staying with us for six weeks, and she's from Mississippi. You don't have that in Mississippi. I mean, she flies in, and she sees. You don't have it in Michigan either, but, I mean, you see that, and you go, it's awesome. It's beautiful. And for some of us, you guys, that right there, creating the distance, driving west, enough to be able to see that creates majesty. Eusebia godliness that word started by saying you guys you know what you need to do you need to understand the majesty and the grandeur and the awesomeness 
and the beauty of God. And once you see that, then all of a sudden you can say, there is nothing else in this world that is more beautiful, that is more holy, that is more right. This is what I want to revolve my life around. Now here's the definition of Eusebia. Let's look at this together. It's the Greek word expressing the idea of deep reverence and awe that leads to respect and worship. And what Peter is saying to us is, you guys, so some of you, you have faith. You actually do believe that that Jesus is the Son of God and you've received the gift of faith. But one of the things that might be keeping you from experiencing everything that you need for life is that you've never added really this component to your life. A deep sense of reverence and awe that leads to respect and worship. Here's a really quick way to say it that has worked for me as I've studied this word. You know what, you know what um, uh, godliness is? Godliness is God-centeredness. It's when God becomes the center of our life. You realize that he is so amazing and so awesome that you lay down everything for him. And I want to tell you this. When God becomes the center of your life, everything changes. Let me try to explain it personally. Um, When I received Christ into my life, and I did, it was very genuine. It was very sincere. God was real to me. I believed in him. I knew I was secure to go to heaven. I had received faith in Christ. But I know this. It was seven years later that I actually added godliness to my life. It was seven years later when I actually made him the center of my life. And I want to tell you what, I know in a room this size, there are many of you who have received him and you've never let him be the center. And you know why? Because for Jesus Christ to become the center of your life, it means that everything else must go. And that is hard to do. It takes faith to do it. See, there are lots of things in the center of our life. Like like your, your spouse sometimes can be at the center of your life. or Your children can be at the center of your life. Or your job can be at the center of your life. Or your pursuits. See, now most of the time, we're just at the center of our life. It's called self-centeredness. And we are at the center. And whatever we want really drives our life. And you guys have heard me say this before. Like Susie is, for me, she is an amazing wife. And she is a lousy God. She was never intended to be the center of my life. Only Jesus at the center of my life even can give me what I need to make my marriage everything that it can be. Jesus at the center of my life is what gives me the hope of maybe being a better dad and being the parent that I need to be to my kids. Jesus at the center of my life is the only thing that never changes or goes away or lets me down. I want to encourage you as I go through the rest of this message, would you consider right now what's at the center of your life? What does your life revolve around? And let me specifically ask all of you who have faith in Jesus Christ, is he at the center? Or is he there just when you need him? Or when it's convenient. Because if he's only there when you need him or when it's convenient, then you have yet to add godliness to your faith 
And maybe that's why your faith is ineffective. Maybe that's why your knowledge of God isn't productive. I know for me, when Jesus isn't at the center, then I'm not as powerful and I don't have everything I need for life and for godliness. All right? So here we go. Two things. If I'm going to know God and knowing him is what brings us into my life, then two things need to happen. I need to let Jesus Christ into my life and then I need to engage into his life. So here we go. If I'm going to add godliness to my life and that's going to help me know Christ, how does that work? Here you go. The first one is this. When you let Jesus Christ, when you receive him into your life, Jesus is the epitome of godliness. That's what he is. Look at this verse. It's in the Old Testament. It's uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And it says this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that change your life? A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. What this means is this. Jesse was going to be the father. If you follow the lineage of Jesse, eventually it's going to take you all the way to Jesus Christ. And so a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. In other words, in the lineage of Jesse, you are going to find Jesus Christ. And from Jesse's roots, a branch will bear fruit. It means Jesus Christ will bear fruit. And here's what it looks like. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And we underline fear because you know what that word is? Eusebia. When I read this, you see, this is what gets kind of fun to study. When I read this, it was like, oh my goodness, this is the key right here. When Jesus Christ was going to be raised up and live on this earth, he was going to have the spirit of Eusebia in him. He was going to have this ability to completely submit himself to his father. And when you look at the life of Christ, you guys, He was the perfect example of what it meant to have God at the center of his life. You know what Jesus said over and over and over again? He said, I do nothing on my own, but whatever the Father tells me to do, I do. That is Eusebia. That's godliness. Godliness is saying, I so revere you that I will do whatever you ask me to do. You are at the center of my life. Now, and I've often said this here, if Jesus Christ, if there's anybody who could have done it on his own, it would have been Jesus. But he was the one who said, I do nothing on my own. But whatever the Father tells me to do, I do it. Look at this verse, Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. That's Eusebia right there. See, Jesus modeled for us. He lived. He did so many things when he was here on earth. But one of the things he did, he said, listen, I am going to show you how to live a godly life and add to your faith godliness. Here's what a godly life is. It's a life that puts God at the center and does whatever he says. It is reverent submission. So, If you are sitting in here today and you go, you know what? I want to know God. I want to have a personal relationship with him. I want to invite him into my life. Then what happens is it says that the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And look at this verse, Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 11. 
says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And again, you guys, grace is a gift. If you've received faith here today, the grace of God appeared to you and it brought you your salvation. But look at this. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So here, you guys, is what you can know. If you're going to let Jesus Christ into your life, you know what he's going to do? He's going to begin to teach you to say no to anything in your life that's not centered on God. And I just, I just want to say, this is one of the things I love the most about God, is that when you ask him into your life, he doesn't say, okay, now, Nelson, let's go. He goes, no, I'm going to come into your life, and I'm going to do the work. I will actually start to change your heart. See, that was one of the most amazing things to me about receiving Christ is now all of a sudden, now it doesn't mean that I don't have worldly passions and self-centeredness. No, that's my nature. I love to think about me first. That's very natural for me. Anybody else agree? It's very natural to think about yourself first. But now that I have Christ in my life, I can't do that comfortably anymore. I still can do it, but there's the grace inside of me and it teaches Dave Nelson on a regular basis to say no, Dave. Say no to yourself. Say no. Now, here's the problem. I have a choice to do that or not, right? But at least the teacher is in there. And I just want to let you know right now, if you decide to receive Jesus Christ, then you will get the grace that brings you your salvation. But one of the things that grace is going to save you from is yourself. And if all of a sudden, what can be at the center of your life is a godly life, then you will start to say yes to God and no to yourself. And every time you say yes to God, that happens. So does this start to make sense? See, this is why Peter says, are you ineffective right now? Are you unproductive? Is there no power right now? Or is there no fruit coming from your life that should look like God? Maybe you've never added godliness to your life. Maybe you've never listened to the teacher, the grace of God, who's saying, come on, say no to that. Say no to worldly passions. Say yes to my passions. Say no to your selfishness and say yes to being like Christ. And, I just want, and I, I'm just really grateful for that. If I'm going to actually know God, then one of the things that's going to happen is I'm going to say yes to the grace that teaches me to live a godly life. All right? So that's the first part. I let him into my life. God, I want to know you. Come in. Okay. He starts showing me everything that's not godly. And then I can respond to that. So just real quick, in response to that, I just need, I feel like I just want to ask you today a few questions. Um, have you ever, ever in your life, those of you who've received Christ, have you ever actually given up your life entirely to him? I, can I be totally honest with you? After 22 years of ministry, I know that most followers of Jesus, most people who have faith in Christ, have never actually added godliness to their life. 
And I want to just say, um, once you've tasted that, you want everybody else to taste it. And I think that was one of the things that amazed me once I started doing ministry. It's like, oh my goodness. There are a lot of people who believe in Jesus, but they've never tasted the full life that they could have. And if that's you today, I just want to encourage you. It's not easy. My goodness, it is one of the hardest things to do is to completely surrender your life to Christ. It's, it is very difficult. But, but what's so cool is that God wants this for you. And if you're here today and you're saying, God, I want everything I need for life. I want to know you deeply and intimately. I just got to confess to you, I can't die to myself. I can't do it. It scares the living bejeebies out of me to think of not being in control of my life. Ask him to help you. And I'm telling you, God will give you the grace and the strength that you need to help you let go. And you will now have him at the center. Remember what Jesus said? If you try to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you find it. So there you go. Add godliness to your life. Now, that's what I must receive is the work of God and his grace in my life. But if I really want to know God, then I also have to engage in his life, right? So how do I do that? That's the second point here. How do I engage in God and say, okay, now I'm going to do my part. I'm going to work this out. Look at this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. It says this. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, but rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life. I love that. If you train yourself to be godly, it's going to hold promise for both the present life. Right now, the life you're living, right now, there's promise for you. You could be a spiritual millionaire right now in your home and in your heart and in your mind and in your workplace and for the life to come. So let me explain it this way. I, a couple of years ago, I, I wish I could remember who I heard this from, but this guy said, you are as holy as you want to be. And I remember thinking, are you kidding me? Because I'd like to be a lot more holy than I am, <laughs> but I'm not. Well, let me, let, me, let me say it this way, and I believe this is true, you guys. You are as godly as you want to be. Okay, let me say it again. You are today, you are as godly as you really want to be. Now, how can I say that with such deep conviction? Because in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he said what? He said, because of what Christ has done, you have everything you need for life and godliness. What's he saying? You have everything you need. In other words, you've got it. So now that you've got it, now that Christ has given it to you, now you've got to work it out. And I think part of the reason that we aren't as godly as we say we want to be is because we really don't want to train ourselves to be godly. Anybody want to admit it? I don't really want to do training. Just give me the gift, you know? I mean, I don't want to have to put any effort towards this thing. So I, I was thinking about this, and the first example that hit me was Michael Phelps, okay? Now, I know he smoked a joint and everything, so let's just throw that off to the side. But, but let's think about Michael Phelps here for a second. There is no question, somewhere along his life, somebody looked at him and said, Michael, you've got it, right? I mean, they saw him in the pool, and they said, man, you have got what it takes. 
So, Michael Phelps, and does he have everything it takes? You know, pretty obvious, right? He's unbelievable. But what do you know about Michael Phelps' life? Does that dude train? That's all he does. If Michael Phelps, even though naturally he has everything he needs to win gold medals, if he doesn't train, does he win gold medals? No. Okay? Another example for me, I was in Red Building yesterday or last week, so maybe you guys didn't hear this, but I went to the ballet last week. How many of you have been to the ballet? Oh, okay, all of you need to go. It was unbelievable experience to me. I sat there, and I'm, you know, I, it was just, I'm in the front row, which was a real gift, and I'm sitting there going, I had no idea the human body could do that. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, we're talking strength and grace and beauty and passion all tied up into one. Now, the reason I was there is because there's a couple here that are two of the soloists for Ballet West. And so I went to go watch them. I know their life. And you know what they do all day long, all week long? They train. Because even though they have the ability, you guys, there's no way they perform like that unless they train. Okay, am I beating this dead horse? You catching me? God tells us, tells me, David Nelson, you've received faith in Christ. You now have everything you need for life and godliness you could participate in the divine nature and you could escape the corruption in this world. Okay, well then why ain't it happening? Maybe because you have not added godliness to your life, David. Can I give you a clue, Nelson? Train yourself to be godly. Because you've got it. I don't know about you, man. This excites me. This is what thrills me about the next... Hopefully, I don't know, what do I got? 40 or more years of my life. The fact that I could experience more spiritual power in my life, more peace, <laughs> oh man, bring it on, more joy, more perseverance and the ability to do endure through hard times. The fact that I could be kind and gentle and patient with every person, that excites me. But one of the things I'm realizing, Nelson, it's not going to happen. Even though Jesus has done everything and you've got it, now train yourself to be what you could be. So let me just close. The last part of our message is this. Now, because we have to really be careful with this. Train yourself to be godly. What does that mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean to go out there and try to do more good things for God. Because then you're just going to get, it's going to be all about you and how good you can be. And God's not real interested in that, to be totally honest with you. See, because then what you're doing, oh, let me be honest here. I think sometimes that's what I do. I think sometimes my becoming like Christ is at the center of my life. Does that make any sense? And when my becoming like Christ is at the center of my life, it screws everything up. Because then I get really burdened and I get bummed at myself when I'm not being everything that he wants. You know, and I finally think I'm realizing that's I'm not supposed to be at that at the center. Jesus is supposed to be at the center of my life celebrating the fact that he died for me and that I'm clean from all of my sin and he loves the living daylights out of me. That should be what's at the center of my life. So when I train myself to be godly, you guys, what I'm doing is I'm training myself to be God-centered. I'm not trying to go do good things for God. I'm training myself to listen to God and to do whatever he tells me to do. Do you guys see the difference there? Because I just know there's way too many religious people in the world. And do you like religious people? I don't really like religious people. Jesus didn't like religious people, so we're in good company. 
The reason he didn't like religious people is because they were so busy trying to make themselves look good that they were, that, that when you do that, when you're so looking at yourself, you look at everybody else, and, oh, you're not as good as me, so I'm better than you. And, and it's just, ugh. So train yourself to be godly means looking at the mountain and saying, God, you rock. You're beautiful. You're unbelievable. I totally bow my life to you in complete reverence submission. Do with me whatever you want to do. So train yourself to do that. How do you do that? That's a great question. How do you train yourself to be God-centered? Okay, you guys ready? Five things. And you might want to write these down. Number one, how do you train yourself to be godly? You need to see God in a regular, consistent manner. In other words, what I would say is you need to spiritually drive to the west side of the valley on a regular occasion. You've got to give your chance, you guys, a chance to see how incredible God is. Now, underneath point number one, let me give you some ways to do that. The first one is, and I, 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 I will beat this forever until I die. You guys, if you don't ever read his word, then, then, then you're not going to see him. You, you've got to be in here. It's so fun. Uh, my, my daughter, Mariah, was reading with her grandma and grandpa last night, you know, sitting on the couch, and she's re- she, she decides, well, I'm going to read all the Bible. So she reads Genesis to them, and I'm sitting there listening, and I'm thinking, my daughter's getting a chance to see how amazing God is. The stories in this Bible and the revelation of his nature and his power are unbelievable. And you guys, do you know? You do all day long, every day, everything in our world tries to pull us away from God. Does it not? I mean, my own nature tries to pull me away from God. Getting caught up in the things of this world pulls me away from God. Wanting more stuff, being more successful, having more, I mean, being more involved in everything. Fill up your calendar, right? I mean, it just pulls you away from God. And yet, if you're going to train yourself to be godly and you never spend any time with God, do it. See, see now all of a sudden you go, Huh, I wonder if that's maybe why. Maybe one of the reasons that I'm not experiencing the power and the fruit of my life is because I'm not taking the time to get him at the center of my life. And I got to tell you, I hate getting up in the morning. I hate it every time. But I know this, yesterday was unbelievably sweet. I came back in after being with God and Susie and just shared it with her what he revealed to me, it literally changed my life yesterday. I just, I, I can't tell you enough that if spending regular time with God is not part of your life, then you'll go to church and maybe we'll be good and maybe we won't, you know, and next time I'm going to the Red Warehouse because that was no good. I, it just, it's just, you know, I don't know. But I'm telling you, if you train yourself to get God at the center, one of the ways you got to do it is, God, show me how unbelievable you are. Let me see how incredible you are. Tell me about yourself. Dive into the trails of the mountain spiritually and take a step back. The Bible will do both for you, okay? That's just so huge, all right? Another thing under seeing him on a regular basis is you guys don't give up meeting together. Here's the other thing. I know people all the time who it's like, you know what, man, life is so busy. 
you know, my kids got stuff that's going on, and I got my job, and, you know, I got my house, I got, a, I got this and I got that. I just I can't make it to church anymore. You know, I can't be in a Life Together group anymore. I can't read my Bible. Oh, life is so busy. Get it? If you were here in the beginning of the service, there's so much stuff that clangers. And next thing you know, without even wanting to, your job or your kids or your life is at the center, and Jesus isn't anymore. One of the things that helps keep him at the center is saying, even when I don't feel like it, I'm going. I'm going. I want to tell you, in my life, before I was a pastor and I had to go to church, which was a real bummer, um, but before that, I almost knew that whenever I really didn't want to go and I made myself, it ended up being unbelievable. See, I think there's a spiritual battle that says, I do not want you to get this. So you get distracted. Don't give up meeting together, okay? Another one is, which we're going to do at the end, I'm going to get this, but we need to worship in song, which we're going to do at the end of our, our service today. So I'll do that later. And then the last thing is, literally, you guys, go spend some time in nature. I mean, I know many people, being in the grandeur of God's creation and the beauty of his creation helps you to remember how wonderful he is. So go ahead and do that. All right, that's number one. I'm, you need to see him on a regular basis. Number two, if you really want to train yourself to be godly, then you have to confess on a regular basis when you're not. This is what God's teaching me lately. Confession is a beautiful thing. See, because there's no fear of coming to God with your sin. Why? Well, because Jesus died for all of it in the first place. Might as well take advantage of it, right? Get it out. Confess it to God. Because he says, if you do, I will forgive you and cleanse you. I guarantee you, I will be faithful to do that. So right now, as we worship, I want to encourage you. If you're here today and you have faith in Christ and he's not at the center of your life, maybe what needs to happen simply today is just confess that to God. I confess, God, you are not the center of my life. And I want you to be. I want to add godliness to my life because I want to know you so I can have everything I need. Okay, so confession is number two. Number three is you just need to throw off all the stuff that hinders. It was last week's message. It's just, again, you can't run a race if you've got a bunch of stuff clinging to you. And it doesn't have to be sin, you guys. Some, some of you are involved in really good things, but if you sat back and looked at it, if, it's, if they're sneaking into the place of God, it's not good. That's why I'm saying even loving your kids obviously is critical. But if your kids are the center of your life, then it's not good. Relationships, work, whatever. If you have anything in your life that consumes you more than Jesus, eventually when you go see him, you're going to go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And you have a chance today. Throw off the stuff that's hindering you from having him be at the center. That's number three. Here's number four. Say no to yourself on a regular basis. Because like I said, the real enemy of God-centeredness is self-centeredness. We love to serve ourselves. I'm actually going to do a message here coming up this summer on fasting. And I don't know if you guys have ever done that, but I want to tell you, fasting, very, very interesting. Very painful. And the, without question, the best thing I've ever done in 22 years that's made me sync with God. And you know why? I think there's a lot of reasons, but one of them, I'm going to give the message a couple months, but one of them is because it makes me say no to myself. And I love to eat. That is not an easy thing to do. And when you develop a discipline 
of saying no to yourself. It, on the other side of that coin is it gives you the freedom to say yes to God. It's, it's unbelievable. You know what? The alarm goes off, and if your flesh is like mine, every time it's going to say, are you kidding me? Say no to yourself and get up and go be with God. Develop a discipline of that. Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to center your life on God. Make sure he gets in your day. That's number four, the last one is this. Is, and it's the same thing. But it's basically, I just want to say, it's reorienting your life around God every morning. I just know for me, my flesh is so easily tempted into things that are not of God that on a regular basis, I need to reorient my life to God. And I need to say, today I choose to be God-centered. It's not a one-time decision, you guys. You don't go, hey, I'd love to be godly. Oh, good. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said you have to die, take up your cross daily. And I think daily means reorienting your life around God. So there you go. Train yourself. Be involved in some disciplines in prayer and in Scripture and in gathering together with other people who are trying to do the same thing. And say no to yourself and say yes to God. And I guarantee you, because the scripture says it, if you add godliness to your life, if you do that, if you surrender your life and make him the center, you will start to experience everything that he has for you. So band, come on up here and let's begin to worship. Here's what we're going to do. In this first song, we're going to take our offering and I just want to tell you, so if you, if you came today, this, this, if you're visiting today, I just want to let you know, when we take the offering here at K2, it's not like, hey, we need your money, and so please put it in there. No, what it, what it is, the offering is a chance for you to say, God, I want you to be the center of my life. And one of the things that Jesus told us, he said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So on a weekly basis, if you want to train yourself to be godly, then on a regular basis... You should, that's why God invested this whole thing called the tithe. On a regular basis, you should give back to God to make sure that your heart is centered on God. Because Jesus is the one who said it. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if your treasure never goes to God, that's one way to say, well, he's probably not the center of my life then. (laughs) So the offering on a weekly basis is a chance just to say, yes, God, you are the center of my life. So if you came prepared to do that, let's do that together. But you guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship. And I want to tell you, this is the last thing for me. Worshiping God. I can't wait to stay. It was awesome first service. You guys did a great job. I can't wait this service again to let my heart, that would be here, my heart (laughs) and my mind center around the truth of who he is and then sing to him. And offer him my praise and my thanks and my adoration. This first song is one of my favorite ones. Did you feel the mountains tremble? Have you ever felt the mountains that you see spiritually tremble? See, that's when God starts to be real to you. So let's stand together and let's get ready to worship God with reverence and with awe.